welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks, Reed, for being a guest on my podcast. And um, I think you're from over in the Kansas City area, is that right? Uh, yeah, north of Kansas City in the St. Joseph area. Uh, so it's about an hour north of St. Jo- of uh, Kansas City. Okay. And I've never met you in person. I'm just meeting you now. But um, you, uh, just from the little I know about you, you're um, a judo instructor and uh, kung fu instructor. Kung fu. I'm sorry. That's right. Kung fu instructor. And you come from a Christian Baptist uh, background. Correct. And let's see, you're a family man, a husband, and a father. And yeah. Um, so. I don't. I forgot how it was phrased, but I heard an interesting question not long ago um, that we could kind of just start off with, and it. I think the question went something like, "You know, what's the main thing that we uh, need to know about you to really know who you are as a person?" How would you? Let's just get started with that. Like, <laughs> how would you? I'm a, I, I've always thought that that's an odd question. Um, how do you really know a person? Like, how do you really sum up a person in a succinct statement uh, and really feel like you know them? You know, there's other, everybody is so complex. They have so much, uh, you know, dimensionality to them. Uh, So much history and context and subcontext. It's really impossible to just kind of sum up a person into a succinct statement and really feel like you get to know them. But if I could summarize myself, um, something I've said oftentimes in like icebreaker type conversations and when I'm joining new groups is uh, I'm a Texas born homeschooled Southern Baptist missionary preachers kid who okay. does Kung Fu and practices physical therapy. <laughs> right. Physical therapy. That's right. A missionary yeah. preacher's kid. Where did you grow yeah. up at? Well, I was born and raised the first half of my childhood in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, the mm-hmm. Arlington, Fort Worth area. And then it was while my dad was in seminary. Um, he went to a, uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And then we went on the mission field um, at Southern Baptist Home Missionaries through Mission Service Corps. And um, while we left Illinois, uh, Texas for Illinois on my ninth birthday. Um, So that was a little bit of a culture shock. My dad pastored a missionary church there for 10 years. Took it from mission to fully constituted church and eventually to the point where it closed its doors and was absorbed through um, the Southern Baptist local association there um, before he retired. Uh, So. Okay. That's the story. 
Okay. So I guess, like, um, what's the, so I guess like your, if, you know, when it comes to like your philosophy of life, so to speak, I imagine that would be, you know, kind of related to Christianity since Christianity is kind of one of those underlying type of things, right? Mm-hmm. The, kind of like the found a worldview, so to speak. Yeah. So is, um, so how would you, um, don't I characterize just, myself in that regard? Well, yeah. Like, uh, how would you put that, um, kind of like that foundation, the way you see yourself in the world and so forth? Well, I feel like, um, the way that we understand the world is pivotal to how we make decisions. Um, we're going to make our decisions based off our understanding of the world. And so um, having a good, clear worldview that makes sense is, is important. I would consider myself uh, a conservative Christian. And so as such, I see the world through the biblical worldview as to the best of my understanding of it. Um, always growing and always changing. Um, as I as I gain deeper understanding of what the Bible says and how it applies to my life and, and the world around me, but I think it's key. I mean, if you don't have an, a worldview that makes sense of the world, then you're kind of in trouble because you're making decisions with no framework to determine, you know, is it a wise decision or not, and. Uh, well, we see the effect of that in our own life, in uh, the lives of those around us all the time. So why, for you, the, the Christian worldview? Oh, well, I started off in it. I mean, that, that, that yeah, I have to acknowledge that to a certain extent I'm here because this is where I started. Um, mm-hmm. But I stayed. Um, and I stayed because more so than any other philosophy out there that I had seen or heard people share, um, about or talk about or demonstrate in their life. This is the one that made the best sense of the world around me. Um, you know, the biblical worldview makes sense. I know for some people that might seem odd because, you know, it's, it's based on the idea that there's a transcendent, all powerful um, being out there that created everything and whose very definition of existence determines what's right and true and good. Uh, and that acceptance of a supernatural being for some people is a little hard to swallow. But, you know, when you think about it, you, faith is inescapable. The... Uh, the existence of anything, logic, dictates the requirement of faith. So, you know, the whole existence of logic, we are using things that we know to be true, and the relationships we know to be true about them between 
between themselves, like two, two, two things. We know that there's a relationship between two pieces of knowledge. And we use that to then discover more knowledge that we didn't know before, right? This is how logic mm -hmm. works. But it's based on the premise that the things that we know are true and that the relationships between those things are valid. And so in a sense, faith is inescapable. So for me to accept on faith that there is this transcendent, all-powerful being out there who is the very definition of good and right, and that he did what he said he did in the Bible and is who he says he is in the Bible, is not harder for me to accept than this is just one giant accident. That accident okay, so, worked out. Yeah. So with, with like logic, and I know there's some faith there. Kind of to me, it's kind of like you know we got our senses, we look and we uh, feel and so forth, and we just take it for granted that it's giving us true information. I guess that's kind of like logic that we believe there's reason and these law, the law of non-contradiction, these various ways we uh, deal with logic that they can be trusted and that there is some mm -hmm. assumption there, but that seems a little bit different than, you know, a being that uh, we can't see or sense or go anywhere in the universe to observe really. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, there's faith, you know, faith is inescapable. But um, it does kind of seem like uh, not quite the same thing. Um, like we all kind of have our senses, you know, and we are, you know, we basically uh, believe in logic and stuff like that. Like we believe in things we can't prove. I get. I think it was, I heard one fellow talk about like, you can't really prove that anyone else has a mind. You know, you experience your own mind in your head, but um, you really can't, you just, you know, you just believe that other people have minds as well, you know. So there are things like that we just believe without proof. And yet it does seem like mm -hmm. um, a little bit more of a, a jump, um, you know, to go to like a, to God um, and then and then even maybe more to like a, a real particular God um, to, uh, you know, like the Bible and the way, you know, confidence in the Bible and so to speak. But um, mm -hmm. I don't know. You have any thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, but for me, I don't really think it's that much more of a leap. Um, okay. And, and maybe it's because I started here. You know, I started off mm -hmm. in a Judeo-Christian family that, you know, and I got to see the effects of it in the lives of my family, my brothers, my mom, my dad, the, the lives of people around me. You know, those people who had this relationship with this God that they, you know, it, and it makes sense when you read the Bible, 
you know, way back in Genesis, God interacted with man in a very more direct fashion. You know, we could hear him, we can see him to a certain extent. It's, and, you know, we were interacting with him in a much more direct fashion. And of course, then there was the fall and Adam and Eve and, and, uh, and God started to step back. Not, not completely, but he stepped back in terms of the manner that he interacted with us as a, as a, as a people group, you know, through Cain and Abel, he was still interacting to a certain degree fairly directly, but not by any means to the level that he was with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. And so then as he stepped back to even more throughout history, so now it's hard for us to imagine, you know, God seems very distant, but the reason all of that started was because man dropped the ball on faith. You know, where did Adam and Eve fail? It was with faith. You know, they didn't believe God. They didn't trust him. Right. And so, and not so much of, like because a, of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just going to say that, not, I'm sorry, we have a delay going on. Um, I'm just going to say that it, and it wasn't so much like believing he exists or not, but like trusting him as in relationship, you know, having a relationship with faith, you know. Exactly. You know, did God really say that was that was the strategy that the um, that the devil used to to trip up Eve. And 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 so where she failed and where Adam failed was their their trust that God was right and that they needed to be to obey him. And so it makes sense to me that at the point at which God then says to us as a people, as a, as a human race, it says, I want you to come to me. And the point of entry is faith. It's the point at which we failed. This is where he wants us to start our relationship with him. Faith. The first faith is that he exists. You know, mm-hmm. as Hebrews 11 says, that you must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so we want to we want to say if God really wanted us to know him, he would make himself more available. But that's not really fair. We don't have that right. God's not the one who messed up. We are. And so he gets to be the one who says, I'm going to determine where we reintegrate in our relationship together and it's on the foundation of faith. And so, um, that's, that's his prerogative. Um, we're, we're not the one who gets to decide that because we're not the one or he's not the one who, who failed. We did. And he doesn't owe us anything. You know, that's another thing I think is vital to understanding the Christian faith, especially when it comes down to, you know, people's questions about how, how does God, why does God do the things that he does? I think it's fundamental to understand that, you know, God set us up in perfection. He set us up well. And we as a species, as a human race, and Adam and Eve, we're the ones who messed up. You know, the consequences were clearly articulated ahead of time. 
And I believe, you know, the consequences were ours to bear. And God didn't owe us a way out. He didn't owe us anything after our failure. So when he chooses then to create a way to reconcile, a way that incidentally cost him everything, um, <laughs> then we don't really have the right to question that. But instead, our attitude and our perspective should be gratitude that we even get the second chance. And uh, uh-huh. so for me, it's not unreasonable to think that God wants us to accept him on faith. And so he makes it so that to a certain extent, there's no way to prove that he exists. Now, there, I think it's important in any kind of discussion like this to say that the absence of proof is not the absence of evidence. Like you were talking earlier about you know, the fact that we can't prove that the mind exists. Well, we can't prove conclusively, but we're not without evidence to lead us to an understanding that probably it's there. You know, so the way that that God wants us to come to him with faith is not blind faith. It's not faith without evidence. It's just that the evidence that points us to him falls short of conclusive proof. So at some point in time, we have to make that proverbial step of faith and discover through then our own personal experience that that faith, that that conclusion was well-founded. You know, when I started off with my walk with the Lord, it was, it was by faith. It was by faith with the evidence that I had in Scripture, and it was the faith that it, through the evidence that I had in the lives of those people around me. Um, but it was a faith, and it was my step. But now that I've been walking with him for 30 plus years, I have more evidence that's mine because I've had this experience. It's, it's not Christianity isn't just an ascent to a set of ideological factors. It's, mm-hmm. it's a relationship in its purest form. It's a relationship between an actual living being. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, there, we have philosophical and ideological parameters that we hold to be true, but at its fundamental point, it's, a, it's about this relationship that we have. It's about restoring what God created in the garden to some degree. And eventually, on the other side of heaven, to its full degree. So, and that's, I think, that's something that, that makes it different from, you know, a lot of the other philosophical frameworks that are out there that people may hold to. is just that I'm not working just from a, a, a basis of philosophy. I have that in Scripture. Scripture is full of fabulous um, truths that can that build a, a great framework for understanding the world around us. But I also have this relationship with the person. So it's interactive. It's, it's engaging and, and more powerful, I think, than a, a simple, you know, set of dogma. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there, on, on one hand, there seems to be like a little bit of a difference between just trusting that a person, trusting a person's character, trusting a person to do right and so forth, trust, entrusting ourselves to a, a person compared to like just trusting, believing that the person exists. But, mm-hmm. but I, you know, if you knew, we do have reasons for um, believing in the existence of God. And it's kind of like if you knew everything about God, it, it really wouldn't be faith any longer, it seems, because um, you would be... Um, you would just know exactly what he was going to do. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There, um, the two may be blended together somewhat. But anyway, um, yeah. So faith is just kind of like sometimes uncomfortable, but it just there's really no way around it. It's just kind of where we are. And um, sometimes the more important question to me seems to be like. Um, you know, if we were not so much like if we could somehow, you know, rationally compare everything on one side of the scale and then the other side of the scale and see which one has the more evidence and go that way. And, um, but rather there seems to be a moral, um, aspect to faith. Like there seems to be like, uh, just a, a responsibility. Some, yeah. Some things that are right to believe and to trust in and so forth. And that's kind of hard to explain, uh, you know, just why it might be that way or another. Um, but it seems like um, there's a moral uh, morality to trusting in the, the very best that you can conceive of or trusting in the good or trusting in what seems like the most hope rather than just um, settling for something lower or something like that you know i don't know but Hmm. um well so anyway you've talked about growing and changing over the years um like in what way how are you what's your relationship with god like now that is different than it used to be or how have you changed in your understanding of god and life and and that type of thing. Hmm. So much nuance in that. Hard really even to uh, to expound on it too much. I'll say that when I first started off, so, so let, let me talk about it in the context of maturity. Um, <clears throat> when I first started to really grow in my faith. I was saved at an early age. Um, you know, my experience, you know, struggling with God, overcoming personal fears, um, you know, before I finally, you know, broke down and accepted that this is what I wanted to do and the way that I wanted to live my life, that I wanted to follow Jesus and everything, everything that that entailed. Because one of the things that is different you know, is that faith demands an action or it's not really faith. Mm-hmm. Right. 
you know, you can say, yeah, I believe that that chair is stable and it will hold me or that that airplane is a safe way to travel or that my logical deduction that A plus B equals C is true. But if you're unwilling to then act on it, it calls into question whether or not the faith was real in the first place. So, you know, when a person believes that God is who they say they are, who he says he is in the Bible, then it puts a certain responsibility on you to then act on that. You know, if he is who he says he is, then he deserves my worship, my loyalty, my obedience. And because he has the right to, to hold that position. Um, and then, you know, and so if I'm going to follow Christ, I need to follow him in all that that entails. And so that means putting my personal fears behind me and obeying. It means um, doing things that make me uncomfortable and all of that. So that was a big struggle for me, you know, when I was five years old, when I first felt like, okay, this is what I need to do and want to do. But there were certain things that kind of scared me about, you know, what that meant in terms of following through. And uh, so I struggled with that for a couple of years. But, you know, I was young when I finally made the decision that that was what I was going to do. And so to a certain extent, that made the rest of it easier because, you know, I had more of life ahead of me than I had behind me and a lot less baggage to deal with um, to overcome. And so, you know, that put me in kind of a good position um, to start off well. That and I had good mentors. You know, my father, uh, a fabulous man who had, you know, had a dynamic walk with the Lord and a deep understanding of the Bible and how it applied. And, and he, he modeled, a, you know, he modeled that well for me growing up um, and my mother as well. And I was fortunate when I entered college and started studying the Chinese martial arts. My Kung Fu instructor was a just an amazingly humble man who had a dynamic walk with the Lord as well. And, you know, so I had a lot of really good mentors in my life to kind of help steer me in the right direction. Um, but, you know, I was always, you know, the, the believer is always seeking this goal of maturity. What does it mean to be mature? And so early on in my Christian walk, I thought Christian maturity meant Christian morality. You know, like mm -hmm. being a mature Christian was a moral Christian. And, and so I worked really hard at doing the right things and making the right decisions um, in regards to, to morality. Um, and uh, really felt like that was the key to being that mature believer. And, uh, you know, Little bit by little bit, the Lord kind of led me to an understanding that, you know, not to denigrate the value of morality because it's important, but um, <laughs> that, that really wasn't what he was after with me, <laughs> you know. Like, yes, he wants me to be holy, but that was not the goal. Like, 
that's a, that's a side effect of the goal of what God is trying to accomplish in my life. And so, you know, the morality that I could generate from my own effort didn't impress him much in the first place. And so, you know, that's really kind of not what he was interested in. So that's, I kind of moved on from that um, as I as I grew in my walk with the Lord. It's like, okay, he wants something other than morality from me. I mean, not to say that he didn't want me to be moral, because that's not what I'm saying at all. But that he, he was like, I will produce my morality in your life. And yes, you need to agree with me about what is right and what is wrong. But that is not... That is not the tier one bullseye that we're shooting for in this in this relationship. And so I was like, okay, so I moved on to the next thing that the church tended tends to, you know, harp on a lot. And and that was um, evangelism. So I became gung-ho about sharing my faith with people, which honestly scared the, the living daylights out of me. You know, going up to people and talking to them about the gospel. You know, I had no concept of how to do that in any kind of an effective way. Um, and how people, like, thinking about like how people were going to react to that really was scary. But I got over it, and, and I got really good at sharing the gospel with people. And I led a number of people to the Lord. Um, and, and, you know, God uses... God uses our foolishness to his, to his glory. Um, but I also, as I, as I kind of was walking through that, started to realize that that's, that's also, while a good thing, you know, sharing the gospel with people, sharing truth with people that could change their lives for the better is a good thing. Um, but that also wasn't what God was trying to accomplish in my life, you know? His number one bullseye objective was not to turn me into the next Billy Graham evangelist. And so I thought, okay, well, then Christian service has got to be where it's at, you know. So I preached and I went on mission trips and I taught Sunday school and I was a youth director and, you know, you name it, whatever the church needed, I did it. I was an, a deacon. I led the singing, which I can't do very well at all, but I did. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I handled the AV booth, which is, you know, really saying something about how desperate the church is when they put me in charge of the technology. <laughs> I knew nothing about most of these things, but I went and I did them. And I realized as I went through that, that these are good things. These are good things and they're necessary things for the church to operate. But how much I served and I worked for the kingdom, again, was not what God was most interested in. All good things, but not the things that he was most interested in. These things did not equate to maturity. You can be moral, you can be evangelical, you can be active, I mean like to the point of exhaustion, active in service to the kingdom and not be mature. You can know the Bible backwards and forwards academically 
have all the right answers to all the doctrinal questions, because that's where I went next, right? Studying doctrine, you know. I studied the Bible backwards and forwards, read it a dozen times, um, cover to cover, in multiple different versions, um, studied all the different doctrines and kind of got lost in the weeds there for a while about all of those things. And again, I found it profoundly beneficial for me. Like I gained value from doing all of those things, but that's not what makes a believer mature. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of out of this here. What am I supposed to do to, to be mature? Like, what does it mean to be mature? And um, what I finally came, and this is still kind of where I'm at, because understanding this and actually living it out is two very, very different things. And uh, kind of what I've come to is that what God wants from us is what he tells us in Micah, you know, uh, what did the Lord require of thee, O man, but to love mercy, to do justly, and to walk humbly with your God? What did God create Adam and Eve for in the very beginning? Intimacy. What God wants from us, his bullseye number one objective for us in this relationship, why he even created us in the first place, is to have intimacy with us. Not for his benefit, but for ours, which is really interesting. God does all this work to create us and then sacrifices himself to restore us so that we can have intimacy with him and it profits him nothing. It, it's all for our benefit. Like he created us so that he can benefit us. <laughs> so um... that just blows my so I think it profits him. So I, I think that um, he didn't create out of, out of a need. He was fully satisfied, complete, and all of that. But I, when I get down to why am I here, I think the, I can't go any lower than just, you know, like more foundational than, than simply it pleased God to do it. You know, he didn't create the world and yes. man it. Right. Yeah. So if it pleased him, he's receiving he derives, something from it. Yeah. He he derives um, joy. Yeah. Yeah. I, from it. Yeah. And glory. He, he derives glory from it. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess what I was speaking to was the, the idea that he doesn't need us. Right. Like there's no hole in God that we fill. Right. You know, he, he's he's complete and full without our presence or existence mm -hmm. and uh you know and even when we bring glory to him it's not the glory like he doesn't need us to bring glory for him in order to exist or to whatnot he just does and it, it really is a testament to him and not to us you know because we're honestly we're a lot of trouble but um Okay. But that's another thing, right? So like I think about that as I think about like all the trouble that we go that God goes through on our benefit to bring intimacy to that, to help us to restore us to that relationship, to transform us to the image of his son, 
to bring us out of our sin and and bring healing to the hurts and the damage that our sin does to us and to others, I think about all of that and I think, wow, like that brings so much glory to God because he does it for us. So that's all really interesting. Um, so I got a couple, you know, questions about that. Um, so if that is um, the purpose then of why you're here, um, what are you doing about it as far as pursuing intimacy with God? What does that look like in your life? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, one that I've been trying to answer in greater detail, you know, and I, I think that as I go back and look at the things that I, the kind of the stages of learning that I went through, right? Each and every one of those things benefited me, you know, learning to be moral, uh, you know, following, you know, committing to following a certain idea of what's right and what's wrong. You know, a lot of those moralities as restrictive as, as the world sees, you know, the Judeo-Christian concept of morality, it really does help you to avoid a lot of pitfalls, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot of trouble we avoid simply by identifying that we agree with God about what's right and what's wrong. We try our best as we can to live our life accordingly. You know, so simply avoiding a lot of those pitfalls was beneficial to me. Allowed me to learn a lot of really important lessons. Of course, nobody's perfect, and I made a lot of mistakes, and I learned a lot of lessons from those mistakes. I learned too, and experiencing the consequences of them. But, um, but the same thing as you know, as I as I learned to share the gospel, as I engaged in Christian service, as I learned a lot about the, you know the Christian faith and the doctrine and scripture. And um, kind of formed my own opinions about what scripture does teach about various different issues. Um, all of those things were learning. And in each and every one of those things, I started to, to come to an understanding that I think was more in line with how God sees the world. So to a certain extent, intimacy is built on the foundation of agreeing with God and understanding life in the world and him and myself and other people the same way he does. You know, learning to be on the same page with him. The other thing is, you know, like I've experienced a lot of really bad things in my life too. And I've seen that God is faithful. So, you know, this whole thing started off with faith to simply believing that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I started seeking God, realized that he's been seeking me this whole time. You know, I have this relationship with him. I've had interactions with him that are real and powerful and were life-changing. But I also got to see him stand by me when I made bad decisions and did terrible things. Or when bad things happened to me that weren't any fault of my own, but still caused a good deal of suffering. And so walking through that with him, um, 
brought me closer to him. So to a certain extent, intimacy is learning. Learning what God has to teach us. And to a certain extent, intimacy is suffering. Suffering alongside him as he walks us through the different experiences of life that he wants us to experience. Intimacy is learning to be transparent instead of guarded. Um, learning to, to recognize that what makes me valuable really has very little to do with me and everything to do with him. And so the things that I bring to the table as far as skills and aptitudes and accomplishments don't impress him very much. And the mistakes that I've made don't concern him that much. And so there's a certain degree of security that comes in that relationship that says, yeah, I don't want to disappoint him, but I know I probably will. And when that happens, he's not going to leave me. He's going to be right there with me. He's not going to think less of me. And so, I mean, each of these things, intimacy is not just one thing. I don't think it's a, it's a construct. It's the, the result of a bunch of different things in its basic, most con, you know, definition, it's closeness. It's closeness intellectually. It's closeness emotionally. It's closeness, I don't know, you know, on so many different levels and learning to see the world through his eyes, learning to feel through his eyes. You know, I was a kind of a stoic young man when I was growing up. I, I didn't have a lot of value for human emotion. I didn't see the point in it. And, you know, it just tended to complicate things. And I, as a result, I didn't really have a lot of compassion on other people who made dumb decisions. <laughs> and so, you know, that's changed, you know, over the years uh, as God has helped me to kind of sort of break through some of those things um, and learn to be more compassionate and tenderhearted and um, to feel more, but not just to be a slave to my own emotions, but to feel what I think is more the way he feels about things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some different things come to mind as I was just listening to you talk. Um, one is the failings of others and just, I mean, have, have you, you, have, you haven't read um, Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, have you? I have okay, not. It's no. kind of like a classic book. I haven't read it either. But I got a line from Scott Peck that um, I, I'm just looking at it right now. I posted on Facebook. It's a quote, mental health is dedication to reality at all cost. And that really kind of resonates with me, just that the truth is something outside of me. It's not just what I think it is or what you think it is or anything. There's this objective reality. And I'm best when I... I'm dedicated to that no matter what the cost. And that makes a lot of sense. And I, I looked up, who is this guy who quoted this? And I read a little bit about him on Wiki. And I was just impressed by some of his insight and so forth. I forget what he was, a psychologist or something like that. 
But toward the end of his life, like he ended up getting pancreatic cancer. And, but like right at the end, um, he divorced his wife, married another person, was estranged from two of his three kids. Um, it was just like, you see this sometimes, this failing um, in people. And it's like, like what happened? And um, I, um, and I, I kind of, kind of understand like how powerful evil can be in the world and that it can, mm. it's like something to, well, in Romans chapter 12, you know, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. But like evil is a powerful thing. And, and the thing that comes to my mind is like how we might become bitter or people and you, and you could kind of understand mm-hmm. that, you know, like, uh, things can be really bad for uh, particular people and, and like, and bitterness just eats a person up. I mean, and it can cause a person to go in any number of like nice. bad directions, you know, for, you know, and, um, so the whole, um, thing about, um, I don't know how that sprung off of what you were saying, I guess, um, just talking about how you, you, you were talking about, you know, walking with God, growing, um, seeing things as God sees them, intimacy and so forth. But there's also these dangers um, that seem like just super real to me. And it seems like I'm in like a, a challenge uh, when it comes to like not wanting to be overcome by evil. Um become becoming a bitter person and uh, or responding to um, a situation with anything other than love and forgiveness and so forth and um mm-hmm. so i don't know you have um i don't know if you have any thoughts about any of that about um just seems like we're in a dangerous world <laughs> we are we're in a dangerous world that I think a lot of times, you know, it's clearly in rebellion against God. You know, society as a whole is is doing that which is right in its own eyes. You know, they're trying to determine morality by social, you know, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but the dominant opinion of society as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, the, the problem with that is that a lot of times they're not wrong about different specific issues. I mean, as a whole, yes. But, you know, when you start talking to, to them about specific issues, sometimes they're not wrong. And I think politics complicates things a lot because people get, you know, they get um, become rather zealous about the particular political leaning one way or the other. And it causes them to, to not be able to really see the truth that is oftentimes more nuanced than we like and are comfortable with. And so, you know, this idea that, you know, this author, Scott Peck, you know, he's talking about like mental health is devotion to reality, no matter the cost. It's what he's really saying is that at least I'm, I'm speculating. I don't know what he's really saying. I think what he's really saying is that, in order to have true mental health, you have to be dedicated to the truth. Yeah. 
You know, when I was doing a little bit of study into, into biblical counseling, you know, one of the, the cornerstone of biblical counseling is this single concept. And it was profoundly impactful for me as I was working through a bunch of different things in my life. But, and that is behind every single human struggle is a lie. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That we've believed. Yeah. And so the problem is that there are so many lies that we believe that we think are true and, and that we haven't identified yet. And so as we grow, part of that growth process and part of what God is doing with us, because he is truth personified, is, is helping us to see the lies that we've built our thought process on and our, and our health on, right? So if I, if I believe a lie about myself or about you or about someone else in my life, my parents or maybe even just the world in general, and I start reasoning forward from that lie, I'm, I'm going to reach an unhealthy conclusion at some point in time, which is then going to, going to cause me to make very bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And that bad decisions is going to be reflected in my behavior and my life choices. And, and, and it has the potential to actually rewire our brain in very unhealthy ways. And as a physical therapist, I deal with that periodically um, with patients. And so it's like, yeah, the healthiest people are the people, you know, mentally who are, who are struggling with the least number of lies. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and at least who are influ- had the least number of in- negative impact by the lies that they believe. And, and one of the things I look forward to one day when I get to heaven is having all of those lies just instantly straightened right. out. You know, I'm going to be exposed to God's truth uninhibited. You know, right now we see through a glass darkly, right? So, but someday, someday we're going to see clearly. And and we're going to have that just straightened out. And everything that we struggled with is suddenly going to go, oh, it makes sense now. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, in, in the, the, the church world, a lot of times we value truth so highly because it's who God is. Mm-hmm. And it's so powerful and important in the way that we, in helping us to live the way that we need to live. And we value love so highly for all those same reasons. But we really struggle sometimes. We really struggle sometimes to bring those two opposed, seemingly opposed. They're not really opposing. But from sometimes in our, the way we understand it, because we see through glass darkly, we're limited in our scope and concept and understanding. We struggle with the hard and rigidness of truth sometimes and blending it with the softness and of compassion and love. And it's like, well, I come back to Micah 6.8, right? You know, what does the Lord require of us, O oh man, but to love mercy, to do justly? I've always thought it was fascinating, and I don't really know what this means, but I've always thought it was fascinating that God said that we should love mercy, but do justly. 
He didn't say it the other way around. He didn't say love justice and do merciful things. Mm-hmm. So we should love mercy, but do justice. And I'm like, you know, one of these days we're going to understand how to, how to balance those things together. Because I feel like a lot of times we focus on one to the exclusion of the other and it always gets us in trouble. You know, we're, we're so focused on truth, which tends to make us hard and rigid, that we're ignoring, you know, love. But when we so focus on love, we're so confused that life is chaotic because we lack the structure that truth gives us. And in the reality, they're two sides of the same coin. We just don't understand how to bring them together yet because they're both aspects of who God is. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so, okay, so, you know, the whole thing about overcoming evil with good, you know, it, rather than being overcome, and you, you mentioned, you know, just the problems that come, like there's a lie somewhere in the back of, you know, problems with that we have. Um, and I can see that, for example... You know, in bitterness, what is the lie? Well, it's it's something like I'm being treated unfairly. You know, I'm being um, like this isn't and this isn't right. Whatever situation I'm in, or something like that. But so the truth that you know I I might need to see, or whoever might need to see, might be more of along the lines of. Um, you know, who are we before God? Like, do we deserve anything? So, um, you know, we're just recipients of mercy and he's providing everything that we have for life and godliness and he's upholding us. And I guess it's like, you know, trying to replace a lie for the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess, and it, it makes sense to me that um, and we're going to have to decide what's our source of truth, you know, like, am I going to figure it out myself or am I going to, um, submit to the word God's truth, um, and so forth. And if I'm going to do that, mm-hmm. then how am I going to fight with that? Um, which is basically like the renewing of my mind. Um, so like, mm-hmm. and just how does that lived out rather than just being a good intention to you know, fight, 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 fight for my thinking to be based in reality rather than whatever it might be. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think of bitterness, uh, you know, as like because uh, it kind of eats away at a person. I, I kind of think of that. Well, that person might really be in an unjust situation, but um, they are kind of thinking of it as if they deserve something or another, you know? So I guess that's kind of the, um, wrong headedness and that in what that person they, is believing. But, um, anyway, so I guess like, they think they have to hold their anger without forgiveness. Perhaps. Yeah. You know, and, in my in my experience with bitterness, which I you know I acknowledge is not 
perhaps as extensive as other people's, what I've seen is when I start talking to people who are just overcome with bitterness, it, it almost always sit, comes down to some, you know, they're angry about some injustice, right. something that, that went wrong in their life that, that didn't go the way they wanted it to, or they felt like they'd been wronged. And, and, and whether it was true or not, the thing that seems to, to have shunted them into the bitterness as opposed to allowing them to forgive and move on and grow from the experience was that idea that I have the right to hold on to this anger in that situation, you know, as opposed to I have a responsibility to forgive and grow. And, uh, you know, I challenged myself many times when I get angry about things that have happened you know, to remind myself that God is the only person who truly had the right to be angry with us and not forgive. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not what he did. Right. And if God, who truly has the right, because he's sinless, to be angry with us because of what we did and not forgive, chose not to, then I clearly don't have the right, right. to hold on to that anger now. And, and, and be overcome with that bitterness. I have to find a way to forgive. And for me, at least how it's played into my life thus far, is simply recognizing that I'm no better than the person who wronged me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I wasn't wrong in this circumstance with that person. Maybe I was the one who was wrong, but at some point in time, I wronged somebody mm-hmm. else. Right. I'm no better than them. And so, you know, and, and stepping outside of myself and trying to understand what they were feeling or thinking or where they were coming from. Right. You know. Yeah. Has always been helpful. I think um, that's good. I think for some people, it might not be just forgive and move on. I, I, like I could think of like a child growing up in a situation where they're just um, in some kind of uh, ugly situation just on a daily basis. You know, like what does yeah. a person need to feed themselves with to be spiritually, mentally healthy, uh, you know, and strong? against the evil in the world uh like what would a child need um you know who who wasn't going to escape the evil um but you know what would feed their soul and make them strong enough to be an overcomer i guess i don't know well that is a great question will that i think you know, we are still trying to figure out not just as an individuals, but as a society and especially, and, you know, as a healthcare worker, <laughs> I think about that question all the yeah. time. Like, how do I help this person? And I'm a physical therapist, not a psychotherapist, but, but I deal with a lot of the physical manifestations of psychological trauma. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> it's like, how do I help this person? cope with the trauma that they're dealing with because it's definitely a factor not the only factor but a factor in their physical symptoms and so 
Um, and man, I, that is tough. That's tough because there's so many different factors that come into a person healing, you know, at the root of it all, you know, it comes down to recognizing what's a lie and identifying it as a lie, you know, identifying the truth instead and believing the truth. But sometimes that's a process. Uh, That's not just something that I think that people most of the time can do just snap of a finger, um, flip a switch and make that, you know, that's a process, you know, you know, the, the Bible talks about taking every thought captive unto Christ. I think that that's, I think that's what he's alluding to, you know, is this process of, of challenging our own thoughts as we think them, you know, it's like, Oh wow, this thought hit my head. I can't necessarily stop it from hitting my head, but what I can do is contemplate it, you know, think about it instead of just immediately accepting it and moving on is true. I can, I can start to accept the fact that, okay, I had that thought, but is it true? Mm-hmm. Right. Is it right? Is it lovely? Is it a good report? Mm-hmm. Is it any of those things that Philippians 4.8 tells us that we need to mm-hmm. dwell on? And I think, you know, Philippians 4.8 is a great piece of advice too, because it, it, it implies that we should be proactive about filling our thoughts with these wonderful mm-hmm. things. Right. And different people have different abilities and capacities and resources available, you know, to them to help them to do that. But, um, but man, I think, you know, the, at the core of the human soul, we need to be loved and we need to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And we also need to, you know, have access to truth because truth is going to affect our thought process, you know, but like we're, we're both intellectual and emotional beings and we have to heal on both fronts. Well, that's, I think you're right. We need to be loved and accepted. And what comes to mind is in thinking of just what a gift and how needful that is. You know, that is something that we can give to other people. And and when you think of it, you know, the whole yeah. world, people are all, people are basically suffering. <laughs> you know, um, so many people, even oh, yeah. well to... Everybody's suffering right, with yeah. And um, we can be a conduit of love. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, that just, that just seeking to love can re- probably take us out of our comfort zone. Um because love can look a little strange oh, sometimes, yeah. you know. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, when you when you commit to helping a person who's hurting, it, it will take you to awkward places. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is very inconvenient. <laughs> I mean, I think about that with my own kids, you know. The things that I do for my kids. Right. You know, the patience that I have to show my kids when they're frustrating me <laughs> is just, I think to myself, why do I, why do I do this? Yeah. And the answer is because I love them and I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not about to step away from that. And so as a result, you know, in order for me to stay connected to them and to help them when they need it emotionally and physically, you know, I do all kinds of crazy things 
changing diapers and getting up in the middle of the night and dealing with the incessant, you know, questions and requests and whines and cries, especially at dinner time and bedtime, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, okay. And all the logistical things, you know, like being physically present when, you know, because you can't leave them unattended and, uh, and those kinds of things and the expense you know, that goes in with that as well, you know, investing in their education and, yeah. you know, and their health, right. all of those things, they're, it's downright inconvenient yeah. and costly, but that doesn't stop us from doing right. it. It doesn't stop us from doing it. So yeah, yeah. When we commit to loving somebody like our spouse, you know, committing to walking through their darkest moments of life with them. And it's, it'd be easy to walk away. Mm-hmm. You know, because it gets hard, but, but that's not really right. And there can be a lot of confusion, you know, just about what that looks like, what love looks like in some situations. It can be hairy and messy and, but I guess that's just things we trust God with. And, and, um, yeah, well, let's take a turn and so you're into physical things, um, I appreciate physical things. Um, I feel good when uh, my body feels good, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, what does um, the physical mean in your life? Um, do you have any, is there any philosophy to that as far as life goes for you, um, being a physical person and training or um, or anything like that? Uh, that's kind of a broad question. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, that scripture encourages us to be healthy, you know, and movement is medicine. So to a certain extent, you know, striving against difficulty It's something we have to do physically as well as emotionally and intellectually in order to be healthy. Um, You know, there are a lot of parallels to the spiritual and the physical, you know, and I talk about it a lot in class. You know, when I'm teaching class and teaching Kung Fu, we talk about concepts like root and power and, uh, you know, rootedness is that, you know, that necessary element that we have to have in terms of like stability in order to apply power. Hmm. And so, um, like I talk about that from time to time in class when I'm, you know, working with students to develop structure, you know, and structure is the way that we hold our body, uh, in order to, to maximize its effectiveness in handling force, you know, and, and whether it's lifting weights and, you know, lifting weights with the proper form or running with the proper form or throwing a sidekick with the right form or a lead jab or any of those other different things, you know, position, physical position makes, uh, makes a difference in terms of how leverage is applied and where the force goes to and how it's balanced. And so we talk about like structure, and we talk about root and, uh, you know, and power and how do we, how do we display that? You know, cause the goal 
is to be healthy. You know, the physical, all the physical things that we do in life is to be healthy. And uh, so health, you know, there are a lot of world-class athletes that aren't healthy. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because health is really a lot more about balance. You know, and a lot of times, you know, when we're striving for excellence in one thing, you know, we have to sacrifice a lot of other things that actually makes us unhealthy. Right. You know, look at the number of injuries that like professional athletes have. That's not right. healthy. <laughs> right. It's, um, but you know, so fitness, fitness and health aren't the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a broad question. Not really sure where, what direction to go. I, there's so many different right. ways to go, but, I see, I see a lot of parallels as I'm teaching class between spiritual truth and physical truth, right? Like root, for example, I mentioned that a couple of times, you know, root in, in root being rooted spiritually, you know, is it's akin to, you know, having a solid connection to God yeah. and his truth, right? I, I, I apply the exact same definition to being rooted physically, you know? So being rooted physically is having a strong connection to the ground. And how do we how do we build root? How do I build root in a student? You know, it's the very first step is is getting them to draw near to the ground. You know, and what does the Bible tell us about you know drawing near to God, right? And how important that is in developing that connection, right? And we talked about earlier intimacy. You know, is you know that drawing close to. You know, you know removing the gap between. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of parallel there and, you know, understanding that, you know, you don't become physically healthy. It's not easy. There's hard work. Involved. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reshaping of who you are physically to become healthy physically. Yeah. And, uh, and the same thing is true emotionally. You know, when we think about like our emotional health and our mental health, you know, there's a lot of reshaping that has to do it. It takes a lot of discipline and focus and hard yeah. work and, and, you know, tackling difficult things. You know, it's, 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 I, the irony is not lost on me that I work in a profession that is mostly regarded as exercise specialists and I hate exercise. Hmm. I don't enjoy mm -hmm. it. I do it because I see it as a necessary step to the goal. Mm -hmm. You know, my goal is to be healthy. My goal is to be able to accomplish X, Y, Z physical feats. So therefore I'm going to train and condition myself to accomplish that. But it's not fun. Like the work is not fun. The fun is being able to walk in the ability that the work accomplished in you. That's where it's fun. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Doing the, the push-ups and the squats and the running and, you know, everything. That's not fun, mm -hmm. you know. But being strong, right? that's fun. Right. You know, when somebody's trying, you know, you're being able to, to accomplish that objective, that's fun. And that's where the fulfillment is, is in the, the function yeah. of it, not the process of it. Well, here's the... But, you know, and I so I see a lot of parallels. I'm sorry. So go ahead. <laughs> um so here's a, kind of a, a direction we can take this is, um, you know, the body, you know, when the body feels good, we feel good. Like a good workout 
and there's just, I guess they're called endorphins. I've heard people mention, I mean, our mood, it changes our mood. I enjoy the dry sauna a lot. So I work out, then I go into sauna, I talk to people and it's just great. I get out, I feel good. Um, but the, the thing that we are all facing is our body, um, as we age is, uh, just crumbling apart and it will eventually crumble apart until it can't sustain itself. And, yeah. and so I'm just kind of thinking about that when, um, when feeling good is so tied to the body feeling okay. Um, like if I'm having a physical problem, it's like a, that kind of gets my focus, you know, I'm, I, but when I feel Hey, everything's kind of functioning well. I'm moving well. Um, I can be vigorous and get out there for a good walk or whatever. You know, there, then it affects the mood. And I really don't like uh, thinking that my mood and my body is tied together uh, because, the you know, I'm 55, so my body's headed in a certain direction. You know, <laughs> and um, it's um, and it you know we all deal with that, you know, um, it's crumbling apart and at some point it'll just, you know, we'll, it'll just be a body that goes back to dust. So, um, we need, I don't know. We, um, I guess my question has to do with, um, you know, what kind of attitude should we take into aging and, you know, um, when it comes to, the body, um, you know, what's that best attitude to have, I guess, um, so that we are, um, both spiritually, um, doing well, emotionally doing well, um, enjoying the body as much as we can, but not depending upon it for feeling okay. I don't know. I'm trying to put together a question here, <laughs> but, um, just any, any thoughts? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one because you're absolutely right. I mean, our physical health does directly tie into our emotional and intellectual yeah. health because we have, you know, like I, I believe that we're more than just this physical body, right? I believe we have a mind, a soul and a spirit that's immaterial. And a lot of people out there who don't believe that, but that I do. And, and I think it's biblically supported. Um, and so like our physical body interfaces with our immaterial person through, you know, the spirit, um, which interfaces, I guess that is a good way of saying it to the brain. And so, you know, our, our brain houses circuitry that processes our emotion and it processes our intellect. And uh, so when our body is healthy and strong, you know, that, that like you said, it, it, it balances hormones and chemical mediators like endorphins and enkephalons and serotonins and, you know, nitrous oxide and all those wonderful chemicals that make us feel good. And, uh, and so... You know, and that directly affects like our emotions. So 
Yeah, no, there's definitely a connection there. And we can see it anatomically. We can see it physiologically. We can see it functionally. Um, I think we can see it spiritually. You know, the body talks about, I mean, the Proverbs talks about, you know, a merry heart worketh good like a medicine. You know, draws the connection between um, our physical health and our emotional health. Um, and if there's a connection going one way, it also makes sense that there's a connection going the other way. It's a two-way street. You know, it talks about uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yeah. You know, it talks about, you know, all kinds of references to, you know, drying up the bones and things like that. You know, there's clearly a connection between who we are emotionally and our physical body. And I see that in my practice, Hmm. you know, anxiety, depression, fear, anger, those things absolutely are powerful influencers on our physical health. Uh, They can, they can, in extreme cases, they can cause physical pain, dizziness. Um, They can disrupt, you know, visceral function. So, um, so yeah, they're power, there's definitely a powerful connection there and it's a two way yeah. street, you know, lots of evidence that shows that, you know, physical exercise improves our mood, yeah. improves our emotional regulation, positively impacts our sleep, cardiovascular health. And, and yet when I see it all the time with patients, when their cardiovascular system is not functioning right, then it, you know, affects their energy level, which affects their mood and, you know, everything going the other direction. So it's, there's definitely, definitely a connection there. And so the way that we experience reality is filtered through our ability to understand the world. And that is this complex interplay and interchange between the material and the immaterial. And so they're going to be, connected that's inescapable yeah. as far as i'm concerned so so yeah now that's a that's a excellent question like how do we how do we as we age and, and our body runs down and waxes old like a garment yeah. then how do we maintain the right emotional and physical balance well obviously step one would be that we should do everything that we can to keep the body healthy for as long as possible yeah. That's not always that's not always within our power, but what is within our power we should do. Um, and that involves making good health decisions, um, good sleep, exercise, nutrition, hydration, um, and uh, coping strategies. This is the five things I talk to my patients about all the time. you know the, the five pillars to good health, you know sleep, Hydration, nutrition, exercise, and coping strategies. Um, you know, we need those five things in order to be healthy. Now, that's not going to guarantee perfect health, but it definitely, you know, makes a powerful impact on that. Yeah. And so, when the better we are at those things, the the more likely we are to be to feel good and to be yeah. healthy. But at the same time, the Bible also tells us that bodily exercise profits little. Now, I like to remind people, it doesn't say it profits none. It just says it profits a little. But godliness is profitable in all things. So I think 
also with that is we have to have a mindset that prioritizes the spiritual over the physical and the fact that and, and an acceptance that God is going to lead us through the difficulties that he's going to lead us through uh, for his glory. And so maybe this failing health is going to be the way that I serve God. Hmm. Maybe it's going to be the tool he equips me with to be able to minister to folks. Right. Maybe it will put me in the position or it will open doors for relationships that are going to allow me to minister to people. Um, and I see that with my mom. My mom was a polio survivor from the 50s. When I was a kid, she could walk with a cane and a full knee to hip or, I mean, ankle to hip um, brace. But as she's aged, you know, the chronic long-term hmm. side effects of having polio and what that did to her body have, have now put her in a wheelchair. But, you know, the fun thing about watching my mom age is, is yeah, she, she struggles with some emotional, you know, challenges and some disappointments and frustrations about how much more difficult certain things yeah. are. But my mom is so focused on the kingdom hmm. and what God is doing with her that despite those frustrations, which are real and, and that she has to deal with, and, you know, the emotions that, the strong emotions that that comes with it and the challenges that come with it, you know, she's ready to go the moment God takes her. But until God does, she's focused on serving him here and now and using the things. <laughs> you know, I watched her sit there and carry on a conversation with the nurse in the doctor's office while mm -hmm. she's there being checked out for whatever <laughs> is the problem. And she's sitting there talking to that nurse about, um, about Jesus. And, you know, like I've, I've been evangelized by patients yeah. before. <laughs> and, 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 and it's a kind of a tricky, it's kind of a tricky situation when you're operating in a professional role, like you, you can't, actually engage that conversation with that person. Um, and, and, but, um, but I think to myself, you know, maybe that person has never heard the gospel before. I mean, it blows my mind that anybody in the United States could not know who Jesus is in the gospel, but yet I run across it. I run across people who don't have a clue what the gospel is. Oh, they know who Jesus yeah. is and they know about the church and the Bible, but they don't have a clue what the gospel yeah. is and what it means for them. And so, you know, this is a person that my mom would never in her life have run across or met or had the opportunity to carry on a conversation with or share her testimony with, you know, and I'm not saying that my mom is like pushing this person to get saved. She's just simply answering her questions from the perspective of what does it mean to walk with God through difficulty? Yeah. You know, like they're talking to her about the things that she can't do anymore. How does that make you feel? And, and mom's honest, but she's like, but you know, at the end of the day, I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And I know who's taken me there. And I have no qualms about that. And, um, you know, she gets to, to share with that person what it means to walk with God through difficulty. 
Yeah. And it's a person she would never meet otherwise. And who knows? Who knows how God's going to use that right. that chance encounter, right. you know, and that little bit of her testimony with to to encourage them right. or to, you know, maybe they know the Lord and and that was just the example that they needed to see or maybe they don't know the mm-hmm. Lord. And maybe that was the something that they needed to hear. Maybe it was a, maybe it sticks with them, you know, and motivates them to, to learn more about what this lady knows that gives her, you know, the ability to, to walk through the darkness with confidence of an end that's worth getting to. Well, Reed, um, think we should wrap up um you know maybe just one last thing is there any kind of a a ritual or routine that you practice in your life that's been really meaningful or helpful to you um you know just thought i'd throw that out there just in case there is Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Will. There are things that I strive to do on a regular basis, but I get bored easy. So ritual and routine is something I try to avoid. (laughs) Um, But like, but I mean, I find that regular spending regular time in prayer and, and, and the way I like to pray I think is, is different than the way I was taught growing up. You know, when I was taught growing up, we were given an, an acronym, right? You know, a series of letters that spell out a word and each letter says, is you, you know, all the different things that you're supposed to do in your prayer time. And those are all wonderful, absolutely wonderful tools to teach people about prayer. But when I like to pray, I like to just talk to God like he's a friend. Okay. And I will, I, I do it at Lane. I work in home health. So I spend a lot of time driving from place to place. And my car is my prayer closet. And it's where, like, when I, I talk to God about, like, I would talk to a friend, you know, about my day. You know, well, that interaction with that last patient really hurt, you know, my feelings. You know, wonder why it hurt my feelings. You know, you know or, or that really, you know, I really admire the way that that person is dealing with this. Or, um, or really, I'm kind of confused about their diagnosis, and I'm, I'm I can't make heads or tails out of all the different things that I saw there. You know, Lord, what do you think? <laughs> and and I find that this practice, even though it's not routine or ritual, in that I don't do it with like a heightened degree of you know regularity or consistency, but it's kind of it's while I'm in the way, uh, as I'm on the go. And, you know, I'm just kind of carrying on this constant conversation with the Lord intermittently as though he's literally standing there next to me, which I guess in a sense he is. But um, but it's not your typical prayer. <laughs> but for me, that's 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 the prayer that I get the most out of, you know, and I'm doing these other things, too. You know, like a lot of, you know, I think about a person and I'll start praying for specific things for them too. But, but the one that the thing that really you know I feel like has helped me a lot is the fact that I carry on conversations with God, and it doesn't always answer back. A lot of times it feels like it's a one-sided conversation, but I feel like He's nudging my heart 
in the right direction as I go through this process. Hmm. And the other thing is I regularly read the mm-hmm. Bible. And I cannot say that I do it with perfect consistency every day. And I also can't tell you that I do it at the same time of the day. I actually have like three or four different reminders on my phone that go off every day that remind me to read the Bible because I can't always guarantee I'm going to be able to do it at the same time of the day. It's just the nature of Mm -hmm. my life. But at one of those times, I'm trying, you know, to have some time where I'm regularly working through reading the scripture on an, like a, through the whole Bible on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And uh, I just feel like those two things help me the most to be able to know God and trust him and discern his will for my life. And so, yeah. Okay. That's good. The whole conversation has been good. Let's wrap up for now, but I, I appreciate the time and just the interaction with you. And I think it's valuable content for our listeners as well. So thanks, Reed. Appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate your patience. I know we've been working on getting together for quite a while, but life can be crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm.